Okay. <clears throat> We're going to finish up the book of Romans tonight. By the way, the turkeys are here. So if you have signed up to cook a turkey, uh, that is, take it home, cook it up, don't eat it, bring it here. <laughs> we'll all eat it, okay? So you like to cook a turkey, they are here tonight. I have them here. You can take it with you if you signed up. If you forgot to sign up and you want to do one, there's plenty. We do 10 turkeys for Sunday. So uh, we can use anybody that's good at that. I can I can get up and sing and do other things, but don't ask me to cook a turkey, folks, because you won't like <laughs> the outcome. So <clears throat> we trust you take care of that. Romans, as we finish up the book of Romans tonight, Romans chapter number 15, and hope to get on to 16. We have over this uh, fall season, been working through the book of Romans, and uh, it's a tremendously powerful book. It says a lot of important things. We're coming to the end of it as he wraps up what he's been saying to us. And you never have to worry about Paul. He's always got something more to say. And it's something that we can all use. And it's a, some thought-provoking things. And when we get into these last couple chapters, it becomes very, very personal. Uh, we tend to think of Paul like he's up on a pedestal somewhere. He's the greatest mind, and he, he was. Uh, he's a great mind, and he's the wonderful uh, servant of the Lord. He's all those things, but he's human, too. He's people like you and I. And he can, uh, you wonder what he was like. The early Christians, and this is not in the Bible, but this is from church history, uh, the people that knew him said, we think that Jesus Christ came back already, and that's him. They were so impressed with his character. And we're about to get a little look into his character here uh, tonight as we go through, as he wraps up. the. Remember, he's writing a letter, and it reads like a theological thesis, and it is. All right, it is. It's a tremendously powerful thesis about what God's all about and what the gospel's all about. <clears throat> but <clears throat> it's also him writing a letter to people he has not known, hasn't met. And chapter 14, which we did last week, uh, was a warning. Uh, we've got to learn to get along with each other, not to argue over things that really don't matter. And uh, he, that's some tremendous help for, for churches today. Churches need that, chapter 14. Uh, you, you don't have to agree on every little thing, uh, but you're not allowed to argue. Shut your mouth and just don't worry about it. That's what he said, chapter 14. There's some things he's just, no, 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 we're not going to argue, which is a good advice. I come from people that argue, not my family, but the churches I grew up in argued over everything. And I spent plenty of time around people that fought and argued all the time. I got no taste for it because uh, I had it up to here with it. And uh, I come to chapter 4 and I said, yeah, let's do that. Let's not argue. And so he's coming off that chapter 15. Here we go. 
as we try to move along and finish up the book. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now back in chapter 14, the first verse, him that is weak in the faith receive ye, not to doubtful disputation. So he says if there's people that are weak, people that are learning, and I said to you last week that as we look across the congregation, there's all sorts of people, all different levels of knowledge, they're learning and experience. Some people have been at it for years, some people not long, other people have learned a lot, some people have went a long time and not learned much at all. And so he says you're going to have to learn that some people are you're going to support them. Right? And what he says very exactly, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. All right, now there's an important uh, statement that he makes. Not to please ourselves. There's the key important way of thinking as a Christian. You and I got to learn to think not to please ourselves. To let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. All right. We're trying to please uh, other people. Please the people around us. And our focus is going to be on people around us. What can we do to please other people and not to please yourself? I just saw the uh, uh, author on TV this morning. He was, oh, it's a great book. Everybody's got to read it. And so he says, <laughs> they're questioning him. And he says, well, you know, we all have to learn to love ourselves. And once we love ourselves, then maybe we can love somebody else. Well, <laughs> sounds a little different from Paul. Who says what? You're not here to please yourself, whereas Christ's servants are here to please other people. All right? And he says, and, and that's very much the way the world is. Put yourself first. Put yourself first. Love yourself and then let everybody else fall in line. Uh, no, no. He says, we're not here to please ourselves. And here's going to give us a powerful argument why. Verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. All right. So Christ, when he came to earth, did not please himself. Now, there's a hard uh, thing. The reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Who's them and who's thee and who's me? Who are, who what's he talking about? <coughs> he uses the word reproach. A reproach. And Reproach is, uh, what's a better way to put it? Uh, we have uh, people reproach God. That is, they have low thoughts of God, low opinions of God, and they say things against God. And so the people, you got people, humans, reproached, said low things and had low thoughts about God. Right? They had low thoughts about God. But he said that the reproaches of them that reproach thee or people who look down on, who had low opinions of God, 
uh, God would have to go back to them? No. He says, the reproaches fell on me, and that was Christ. All right, Jesus. And so he said, as people offended God, people offended God, and God would punish sin, he said, it all fell on me. Or in other words, Christ stepped in and said, I will suffer on somebody else's account. Now, the most famous explanation of that is over in uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2. We've used this passage before. I know it's an important passage to understand how God thinks. And this is the same topic. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't please yourself. Let's be in the service of Christ for others. Please others. All right. And that's what he's saying here, just like he said in Romans. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this attitude that he wants to please others was the way Jesus lived his life. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, he was God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That is, he was willing to give up his place in heaven sitting on a throne, I'm willing to give that place, being found, made himself of no reputation, or became nobody. Walked down here on earth, took on himself the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, and so they saw him walking around, they said, he's just another man, just plain old, looks like a regular human. Doesn't look like anything special. Being found... And fashioned as a man, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so what he did for others was he came down here and he walked among others and he lived for others and he supported others and he loved others and he healed others and he raised others from the dead and he taught others and he fed others and he did all these things for other people and not for himself. And for himself, what did he get for it? Well, the reproaches, the sins of the people fell on God. So he stepped in and said, I'll do this for you too. I'll die for you. I'll go that far. I'll do that for others. I'll go so far as to die for you. That's the way that God behaved. So when humans rebelled against God, God had to respond, and the sin fell on Christ. And so the reproach, which should have come back to them, who do you think you are, went instead to Christ. And he's hanging on the cross, and he's taking all that. We did it for others. Did the whole thing for others. So so he says, you and I change the way we think, and we're going to begin to think about other people. That's going to be what guides our life, how we view other people, not what we get for ourselves. All right, back to Romans 15, verse 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. So he says the Bible, he says, is full of stories. That's the things that were written before, uh, that we might learn patience. 
What is he talking about? Well, in the Bible, there's stories of people. That's why it's such a wonderful book. It's stories about people. And what does it tell us? Well, pick anyone you want. Almost Joseph is uh, wearing a coat of many colors one day. Next day, he's in a pit, sold into slavery. Next thing, he finds himself in prison in Egypt. And what did he do? He was patient, trusted God through the slavery, trusted God through the prison. And then the next thing you know, he's a prime minister of Egypt. Right? So he says, we have these stories in the Bible, full of stories of men who lived and suffered, and they came out in the end, patiently waiting for God to step in. Daniel is a young man he's taken as a slave off to uh, Babylon. Pull him out of his hometown in Jerusalem. He goes off to Babylon and uh, there uh, taken first into slavery. Then uh, he ends up in a lion's den. Comes out of a lion's den, they make him prime minister of Persia. So once again, we see this paid Moses. Spends 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. 40 years is a long time, all right? 40 years, he's in the wilderness tending sheep all by himself with his sheep. And then he finds a burning bush. And he gets the information, go, it's time to start. So he's been 40 years patient, and then it came out in the end. And all these stories in the Bible are people who struggled, uh, written for us. And I always say there's somebody just like you in there. If you find them, if you go looking for them. One of those people in there have your characteristics, have your qualities, all right? Look for them, read through, and you'll find people who say, well, I'm a little like that. Yeah, okay. What happened to them? God helped them. So he says, what sort of things are written before time for our learning? Or are we going to read these things in the Bible, learn to be patient, and we're patient and have the comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. Or in other words, God helped those people in the end. And so we expect you to read the Bible and begin to have the same hope. Now the God of patience, verse 5, and consolation grants you to be like-minded one towards another according to Jesus Christ. So that's the goal. He says we're going to not please ourselves. Instead... We're going to be like-minded. Like-minded. I mean, we all got to think exactly the same. No, chapter 14 was clear about this. Not means we all have to be exactly the same. But we have to get along and learn to get along well. He said we need to be like-minded uh, according to Jesus Christ. Or we agree on something. What do we agree on? We agree on Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. We agree what he's done for us. We agree all the things that he accomplished and he suffered in our case. And so uh, we hope for a good conclusion. Right? We're going to serve God and serve other people first. And then we hope that patience will bring us to the end, to a good conclusion. Verse 6, that you might with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We learn to think as a unified group. Support each other. Pray for each other. Do whatever we can to get along with each other 
and make sure we stay that way. And then sometimes we're going to speak as a unified group. All right? We think with our mind the same thoughts, and then what? We agree. We speak out loud. Uh, the, <coughs> we might glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, I think one of the things, it means a lot of things, I guess. One of the things, the way I like to look at it is this way. If we get along together, and if we're kind to each other, if we serve each other, it makes a huge difference when people come looking in. People come looking at us, all right? And so by us loving each other and serving each other, having that attitude towards each other, uh, what happens? They, people come in and say, wow, this is, a, uh, people, this is what God's like. It's okay. I like to have this little of that. I, I had an inspector come uh, yesterday to inspect the church. And you know all inspectors are. Well, I brought him in here. And he goes, wow, look at that. <laughs> and I, I took him all around the building, took him down the village, took him to the barn. And he says... I gotta go, but I don't wanna go, I wanna stay here. I love walking around here and talking and seeing what you're doing. And I think this place is wonderful. Oh, it's, what's that from? It's been glory to God by us being who we are, all right? And he comes and he can sense it. He can feel it and he loves it. So I gotta go inspect some dentist's office. I hate that. <laughs> That's boring. He said, this place is great. I love it here. And he's only here for 15, 20 minutes. So uh, that's what you want. We're here to make God attractive to others. And I said, well, the second week of December, come on down. I don't know where he lives. I don't know if he even lives around here. Uh, but I said, yeah, come on down. Whenever, and if I'm nearby, I'll be around, I can guarantee. So it's our job by... Loving each other, serving each other, putting each other first, and doing the Lord's work that way. Then uh, what we do is attractive to other people. That brings glory to God. So he says that verse 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. So we're going to make God attractive. <clears throat> verse 7, therefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. How did Christ receive you? Open arms. Open arms. Come on. Come on. Come on. He's got open arms saying, come on in. That's the way we should be the people. Come on in. We've got open arms. We receive each other with open arms. And that's also, he says, to the glory of God. That's attractive to the world around us. So he's trying to teach us about these things. Now, <clears throat> here we go. And this goes to Paul's character. There's a lot of good lessons here, but it goes a lot to Paul's character. Um, remember who he was. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The most arrogant, miserable, nasty man you ever met was the Apostle Paul before he met God. It says as he walked down the road, he was breathing out threatening and slaughter. Wow. That's a nasty man. And God came, knocked him down in the dirt, turned him into a blind man in the dirt, 
And God says, now you're with me. <laughs> he said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. That's all I need. I know who you are. And off he went. And uh, so that's where he came from. And the people, the Pharisees that he used to lead, those Pharisees did not like the idea that their biggest brain, their most educated one, turned and went off with Jesus Christ. And so they hounded him and hounded him and hounded him. So everywhere he went, there would be people ahead of time and they're saying, well, you know, he's that guy, he's not such a good guy. When he comes here, don't trust him. And they did everything they could to tear down his reputation before he got there. And so he said, well, I'm a Jew, I'm Jewish. And the Gentiles say, well, you're Jewish. What do you want to do with us? So <laughs> on one side, the people he used to serve with that hate him. The other side are the Gentiles or anybody who's not Jewish. And they're saying, yeah, you're one of them crazy Jews. You know? So on both sides, uh, you think, well, he's kind of in a position where people might not like him on either side. And so he's going to step in. Talk about that now, verse 8. Now I say, Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. What does that mean? Well, Jesus Christ came to Jewish people. He was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And he came down, was born in Bethlehem, came to the Jewish people, and he... Uh, said, here I am, what? The fulfillment of all the promises made to the Jews, starting with Abraham, right? We just finished with Abraham. And God made promises. Out of your family will come uh, something that will bless every family on earth. That's a promise made. And he's the fulfillment of the promises. So he says, all the promises that were made to the Jews, Jesus Christ came and said, uh, here I am. I am the fulfillment of all your promises. And, verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. He also came to say to the Gentiles, you're now included. The Jews have excluded you for 4,000 years. And now I'm including you. Come on. And one of the wonderful things in the in the Gospels is it's the last week of his life. He's working in the temple, uh, teaching people some of the greatest teachings he did last week of his life in the temple. And somebody comes up to him, Philip, and they said, hey, there's some Greeks that want to see you. Well, everybody wanted to see Jesus, right? But they say, yeah, there's some Greeks over here. They want to talk to you. And you remember what he said? He said, oh, oh, Jesus, oh, this is wonderful. Before he ever saw him, he goes, this is fantastic. And they're all scratching their head. What's so good about seeing some Greeks? It was the beginning, the first step. There are these Gentiles coming and say, hey, we want to know about him. We want to know about Jesus. And Jesus was thrilled with it. He said, this is what we've been waiting for. That's what we've been longing for, to open a door to the Gentiles. 
and to say to the whole world, everybody come. All right, so let's look at verse 9. We're going to check a couple of these out because uh, what it says here might not match exactly as a quote that it's meant to be a quote. Right? Or in other words, Paul's going to use scripture. Verse 9, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Now that's in Psalm number 18. And I, I turned there and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. I just want to point it out to you because when you read the Bible, sometimes you go over things. Uh, it just goes zoom right through and you don't really notice And it's Psalm number 18, verse number 49. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises to thy name. Now here he says, this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles, and sing to thy name. The Old Testament calls us, that's us, Gentiles, heathens. <laughs> that's a good thing to call us, I guess. In other words, there was a time when people outside of the Jewish realm didn't know about God. They were heathens. And so that's one of the words he used in verse 10. Again, he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. That's out of Psalm 117. And if you look at Psalm 117, it doesn't say Gentiles there. What it says is, Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. And so when the, David is writing this, he says, praise the Lord. Matter of fact, what about the rest of you people out there who don't believe in God? Time for you to start praising God too. And so Jesus said, I came here to open that door for these people to believe who were shut out before this. Verse 12, back in Romans 15, and again, Isaiah said, there shall be a root of Jesse. He shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 11. And this time he does use the word Gentile. Isaiah 11, verse 10, and that day shall be a root of Jesse, shall stand for an ensign of the people, and to it shall the Gentiles seek. And so we've had this promise way back in the Old Testament that not only the Jews would have the fulfillment of the promises, but also the Gentiles were promised that they would be included. Now, there's a lot of Jews didn't believe that. Can't let those people in. They're a bunch of heathens. They're dogs was their favorite word. They call them dogs. You're just a dog. You're, you're a Roman dog. Uh, swine. <laughs> they used various words to describe anybody that wasn't Jewish, but not Jesus. He said, I opened the door. Now, Paul says, that's what I come to do. Open the door to everybody. Verse 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, there. So you can rest assured that God promised you too. We're, 
we are Gentiles. Whether we're uh, Irish or whatever, whatever we are, Norwegian, uh, we are not Jewish. We're the heathen. We're the rest of the world. But God promised to us. And he says, so you can rest, peace, believing, and have hope that God intended all this for you. Verse 14 now. I also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Here's where he's trying to be really nice. And this one kind of gets to me a little bit. Uh, he's telling them, give your bodies a living sacrifice. Serve the Lord. Uh, this is how I want you to live. And then in chapter 14, he said, don't behave badly now. We want you to behave like you should. And now he's apologizing to them for straightening them out. <laughs> and I know sometimes when I preach, I think to myself, oh, somebody didn't like that. And I understand where he comes from. I understand where he comes from. Uh, and so he's saying, verse 40, I myself am persuaded of you, my brother. You're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. You don't need me to tell you what's right, he's saying. You already know what's right, right? And what do they say? Yeah, yeah, we know. We got it figured out. We know. I hope to help you a little. Verse 15, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you in some sort, putting you in mind because of the grace of God that is given to me. Right? He says, so I've been a little bold with you, a little pushy with you. I've been telling you there's some things you've got to watch out for. And uh, I, I know that you know everything you should be doing, that you're perfectly able of encouraging and admonishing one another and helping each other without me. That's what he's saying. <coughs> All right, let's see. Verse 16. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Or he says, I'm... Here, my job. Remember he said right in the beginning of the book of Romans that he was especially called to the gospel, right? The gospel was his particular call. He's here to explain to the world what it was when Jesus came and what he did, why he was necessary. Remember we went in, in uh, chapter 1, God was angry and God responded. And then people rebelled, talked all about everything that led up to Jesus Christ coming into the world. And so he said, now I'm particularly called that people who aren't Jewish will be led to Christ and that they will be acceptable. They'll understand what the gospel is. I have, therefore, where I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. So he says, I 
have done things for the Gentiles. I've given my life to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. I'm not here to talk about anybody else. I will not dare to speak those things not wrought by me. I'm not here to tell you what Peter did. I'm not here to tell you what others have done. Uh, I'm just going to tell you my own experience, what I have done to bring people through to God by word and deed, verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. And what did he do? Well, he did a lot of things. I mean, he was preaching and a guy fell out the window. Broke his neck, dead. And he went down and <clears throat> got him up and uh, raised him up from the dead. Went up, sat him back down, finished his sermon. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good if you can do that. <laughs> Don't fall out the window, try it on me. All right? <laughs> I'm probably not going to be able to do that. But Paul did wonderful things and he said, Things happened, and, and it was true around Paul. Something always amazing was happening. It was one of the great stories of is when a poisonous snake got on his arm. And he said, what's that hanging there? There's a poisonous snake. And he <coughs> flicked it away, and all everybody said, <gasps> I said he's going to be dead in a couple minutes. And they watched him, and they watched him. He just went along. He was fine. And they said, wow, he's got power. Well, he did. God gave him power, what he calls signs and wonders. He did amazing things by the power of God. Verse 19, so that from Jerusalem, round about unto Eliakim, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So he started in Jerusalem, right? And we know he left Jerusalem on his way to Damascus, capital of Syria, Riding on a horse where he's going to arrest Christians. Knocked on the ground outside of Jerusalem and comes to Christ right there. Begins preaching right away. A couple days later, he's preaching in the synagogue. They said, Why, where did he come from? He's not supposed to be on their side. And he would go to the synagogue and explain who Jesus was. And uh, so he started in Jerusalem, got driven out of Jerusalem, went up into Asia Minor, crosses over into Greece, right? goes all through Greece. How do we know? Well, just follow the Bible. Corinthians, he's in Corinth, right? Galatians, he's in the Galatia, that's Asia Minor. Ephesians, he's in the city of Ephesus. Philippians, he's in Philippi. Thessalonica. And he's going from place to place to city to city. He says here that I went all the way to Illyricum. Where's that? Anybody know where that is? I didn't know where that is. I had to really search, figure out where it is. It's you go all the way up uh, to Yugoslavia. Now, Yugoslavia is up in Eastern Europe. He went up to Eastern Europe. Well, he was going through Asia Minor from city to city, planting churches here, there, and everywhere. He went all the way up to Yugoslavia. And we don't know what he did there. We don't know if there was a church form. Probably. I don't doubt that there was. It was never included in a letter. 
but the church of, of uh, Galatians was the letters be spread wherever they went. And so it's possible that that letter arrived up there. But uh, uh, he went way up there preaching about Christ. 20, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. They that have not heard shall understand. So he said, I went where nobody else had gone before. I was the first one to go there. And I, if, if I thought uh, Silas was preaching there or Peter was over here, I went some different direction. So we could go on and on and on. So he says, that's why, verse 22, for which cause I've been much hindered from coming to you. I've been busy. I've been going all around Asia Minor and up into Europe, over into Greece. And I just never got the next place over to Rome where you people are. Didn't get to Italy yet. All right. So that's, he's explaining why they haven't seen him. Verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts, having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. I will trust to see you in my journey be brought on my way through the word by you. At first, I'd be somewhat filled by your company. So, so my, my plan is I'm going to Spain next. And I'm going to, of course, go probably by boat, and I'll go over to Italy, and I'll stop and see you in Rome. And when I come there, I hope you'll accept me, take me in, and then I'm going on to Spain. Now, as far as we know, he never got to Spain. Because what happens next? Here we go. 25. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. So I'm taking a trip to Jerusalem for a purpose. 26. It has pleased them of Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Now what was happening in Jerusalem was they were blackballed. If you're a Christian you got blackballed. They didn't try to kill you or anything. Well they did, some of that. But uh, what they did was, we'll fix you. If you're a plumber, we're not buying your plumbing. If you're a baker, we're not buying your bread. And so they blackballed the Christians in Jerusalem so they, got, so they were starving. No way to eat. And so these people up in Greece and Acacia, which is Asia Minor, are going to collect a collection. They send money, and Paul's going to deliver it to Jerusalem. 27, had pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. And if the Gentiles have been made partaker of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Wherefore I have performed this, have sealed them in this fruit, I will come to you, uh, by you into Spain. And he says, so they feel, the Greeks feel, that it's their duty to support you. Because from the Jews came the truth of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to give you some bread and meat, money to buy food, that's the least we can do when you gave us Jesus Christ. And that's always been the standard in the Christian world. If somebody feeds your soul, then you feed them. It's always been the way 
the standard is. All right. Feed your soul. You're getting the better part of the deal. Give them bread, whatever you can. All right. Verse 28. I perform this, have sealed them in this fruit. I will come to you, by you into Spain, which he never made. I am sure that when I have come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to tell you all about Jesus. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Uh oh. That my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So I. I'm going to Jerusalem. I want you to pray. I want you to get serious about it. You got to pray for me because I got some enemies there. And they're out to get me. Well, they got him. They got him. I don't know whether the people in Rome didn't pray. I can't answer that question. But when he got to Jerusalem, he was seized. And he would go into prison and begin a series of motions that would eventually take him to Rome as a prisoner. To stand in front of Caesar and be tried in Caesar's court. Where he sat in prison for a couple of years here, a couple of years there. Ends up, the last time we see him, he's in Rome as a prisoner. So his plan was, I'm going to go deliver money to Jerusalem, worship God there, and then I'm going to Spain. Never made it to Spain because he's taken into custody there, and he is out now of moving all over, which he's been doing. He's made four missionary trips all through Asia Minor and Greece and all over, and uh, now he wanted to make number five, but number f the last one would be a straight trip back to Rome to be tried for crimes against Rome. So that's the end of his letter. Almost. <laughs> Almost. <clears throat> Very ambitious person. I'm coming to see you. I want to come and see you. Looking forward to it. Will you have me when I come? I'll bring you the best I got. Boy, I'd love to have him come, huh? So, chapter 16 is closing up the letter. And there's something in here that really gets me. Well, let's go through and look. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Centura. That you receive her in the Lord as become a saint. You assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For she has been a succorer of many of myself. All of them. She helps a lot of people. So first I start. First name for you people in Rome is Phoebe. She's taking this letter. She's the first one you're going to meet. She's going to deliver this letter that I'm writing. And so this lady's going to come. And she's going to say here's Paul's letter. It was the book of Romans. <laughs> it's a big deal, right? And so I want you to remember Phoebe. 
and she'll be coming, and she's got my letter. And so, uh, always with Paul, uh, it makes no difference, men or women. <clears throat> and a lot of what he did was with women. And I got to say that in most of my ministry, I find women more adaptable to the gospel than men. That's what I've seen. All right. Not true in every case, obviously. Okay. But a lot of faithful women have served the Lord. And here's Phoebe who's serving the Lord by delivering the letter. And he doesn't say, well, she's a woman, so treat her nice. No, he says, she helps everybody. She's been helping me. So I'm going to have her deliver the letter. Greet, verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> As a husband and wife, Priscilla and Aquila, who live in Rome, who have for my life laid down their own necks, not whom I only give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. And so he says, there's a pair who live now in Rome, uh, and they saved my neck. When I got in the middle of a riot in Corinth, they came and got me out of trouble, got me out of the way, and uh, saved my neck. And did, and, and did so to their own detriment. All right? So they had to leave where they were, too, because they were in trouble for helping me. Uh, they're in Rome now. I want you to say hello to them. Verse 5. Likewise, greet the churches in their house. Salute my well-beloved Ephanatus, who is the first fruits of Acacia unto Christ. This is my first convert was this guy. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles who were in Christ before me. There's a couple of guys who believed in Christ before Paul ever did. Meet Greet Ampilius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Astabulus household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Grant them to be the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. And salute, and he goes on and on and on and on and on and on through the list. Uh, verse 16, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. And these are all people that he knew of that were in Rome. He makes a whole list of them. The only one that name that survived is verse 8, Ampliaus. And they found his tomb while they were excavating under the city of Rome. And it was a tomb with more carving on it than any one that they ever turned up. It was a very, very expensive tomb. And they found it in the catacombs under Rome. And it's this guy was buried there who was a friend of Paul's. All right, my beloved in the Lord. And the rest of them, we don't know much about them, who they are or anything, but there's a whole long list of them. And he says, I want to think of all those people. When, when you get my letter... I'm putting this in there so you'll say, hey, and shake, shake their hand. In those days, he said, you greet each other with a kiss, holy kiss. He says, what we would say in our days, give them a hearty handshake. Hey, Paul says hi. 
Paul says, ah, he's thinking of you. He's thinking of you and you and you and you and you. And all these names. He's thinking of them all. He makes sure we mention to every one of them. Now something happened. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. And he's in prison in Rome when he writes 2 Timothy. And he's writing to this young preacher friend who's been such a help to him, and he's been a lot of help to Timothy. And uh, he's telling the story of what happened while he was in prison to go on trial. Verse 14, 2 Timothy 4. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Lord, reward him according to his works, of whom be thou where also, for he has greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray that God, it may not be laid to their charge. There's a whole list of names in Rome. One after the other, verse after verse, name after name, family after family. He says, remember these people, tell them I said hi. Tell them I'm thinking about them. No. And he said, when I got in trouble and they went to take me into court, not one of them was there. Every one of them abandoned me. It's a sad thing to me. It's a sad thing to me uh, that a servant of Christ like the Apostle Paul who has taken special care to mention these people one after the other at the other, and they are servants in the Lord, and they worked hard for God, and they did these things, and some of them I was related to, and all sorts of things, uh, and not a one of them stood with him when he was in trouble. Well, it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you think, what were these people like? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they were like, but it's an awful black eye on the church of Rome that nobody was there. Nobody was there. And he's just taken special half of a chapter to salute each one by name. And so it kind of tears a little at me to think that that it would be so for a guy like Paul. But the reproach of them that reproached you fell on me. Exactly what happened to Paul. He said they were afraid afraid and they said well that Paul I don't know I don't know if we can stick with him and they didn't and so the blame and the load of carrying the gospel fell on Paul and these people didn't pick it up huh so now we're about to finish the book Verse 17, he must have known, he must have known what was going to, had a feeling. 
17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. He says you're going to have to watch out because some people are not what they say they are. Some people are not with you. Some people you're going to have to be careful. They may talk awful well, but they are not with you. So he warns them. And it seems he had a good reason to warn them, didn't he? Verse 90, if your obedience has come abroad to all men, I'm glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I'd like you to know what's right. And I don't want you to be practicing what's wrong. Then he says something that, <clears throat> I guess if I wrote that much and that far, I would have said there, forget you guys. But that's not Paul. He's genuine thing. 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. What does that mean? Well, we know some of the things that happened in Rome. We know that the first century Christians were driven underground and lived in the catacombs and worshiped underground uh, for the persecution. But he says Satan is going to get bruised under your feet because in the year around the year 300, uh, Constantine comes marching in as a conqueror of Rome. And he came in and he takes over the city of Rome, conquers Rome, and his first announcement is what? Remember, I am a Christian. And they said, what? I am a Christian. And Constantine, the emperor of Rome, would sit on the council that would define for us what we believe. And those early uh, doctrines that we had laid out. Who's Jesus Christ? Who's the Spirit? Who is he? Those were laid out by Constantine and that early church gathering that he was in charge of. And what did they do? Uh, they changed the whole city of Rome into a Christian center. Right? And so this is true. They crushed Satan under his feet. And Maybe that's what he's talking about. 21. Timotheus, my work fellow, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, uh, are my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. He's the guy who's taking down what Paul's saying. Paul usually had somebody writing while he talked. And he, this was the guy who did it here. Gaius, my host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, chamberlain of the city, as is a treasurer, salutes you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, preaching of Christ Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. What's the secret? That the gospel will be open to the Gentiles. They kept it a secret, now it's wide open. 
now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the command of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. He says we are on the verge of an open door. We have brought Christ to the whole world to God only wise. The only wise one is God. Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. All right. So it ends on sort of a sad note. Sort of a sad note that they were not careful about the divisions and strife that he was warning them about. And when it push came to shove, he was abandoned completely. They abandoned him and let him go. But he didn't care. He says, uh, I'm warning you. You got some dangerous people among you, but if you be patient, like I've said, uh, Satan will be crushed under your feet. And thus the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire in the year 300 with Constantine taking over. That's a little bit of history tied up together. Thank you very much. And that's the book of Romans.